College basketball fans, how we doing? I'm Timmy Hall. He is evil, bald Colin. And look at that. He's back wearing the script Buckeyes. We actually have dueling script Buckeyes hoodies. He's got the scarlet. I got the black. How you doing, ma'am? I'm doing all right. I just want to ask real quick because it's the same black one as yesterday. Oh, as it, in oh, Wednesday be, and Thursday. Is this a... Uh, it'd be this, the same. Is this a good luck thing you have going on? Oh, yes. It'd be the same hoodie. <laughs> it has been sprayed with some Febreze. I have a different t-shirt. And look... Different pants, still black pants. I'm wearing my same LeBron Nikes, the Scarlet Reds, so they kind of go hand-in-hand hand with the Buckeye gear. And what's he got on under there? Oh, he's got a old-fashioned 1990s-era Arizona T-shirt. Yes. Going Lute, with his Buckeyes on top. The Lou Olson era. Um, it's, it's It's part of the home field apparel line that I always order from and get. It's such a great retro college sports uh, website to get all your shirts and whatnot. And I'll have one that if you watch, I don't know if we have fan TV ready for uh, the selection show that we're going to do, think so. but I'm going to have my favorite one on don't Sunday. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I, this is great. It's a different basketball t-shirt every single day. If Weber State won the big sky, that was ridiculous that they didn't knock off Bo Bishop's Montana State Bobcats. Double overtime. Are you kidding me? The Wildcats went like 11 minutes in the second half without scoring a field goal. They scored like two points in that span. So I have an old like reversible purple and white jersey, a mesh jersey. There's nothing branded like you had to you had to hunt. You had to go and kill somebody if you wanted to actually get the Adidas Weber State gear at the time. You had to murder someone if you wanted official Weber State apparel. It never exist. It didn't exist. Not even in the in the school bookstore. It was like Champion and Coliseum or what have yeah. you. But I've got that purple and white jersey somewhere, and I was going to wear it with no T-shirt under and give you a couple of tickets to the gun show. But I don't know if I can do that since they lost in their semifinals. But this is such a such a fun time of year, man. Really fun time of year. Who we got coming up on the podcast today? Yeah, so our guy Jason Carmella, who runs the big dog. Dog on, or big underdog blog uh, does a lot of bracketology stuff has one heading into the weekend I'm sure it'll change with some of the conference tournament results but it's it's a really good discussion on what the seed lines look like some of the middle teams in the bracket how are they performing and quite honestly how do they stack up against those one and two seats because I think this is one of the deeper middle parts of the bracket and recent memory so it's going to put the stress on the one and two seeds i don't think you're getting chalk this year yeah jason carmelo he's been on the podcast a couple years in a row now and he's provided us with some really really nice insight because if this is the time to do it selection sunday coming up you gotta have you gotta have a bracketologist on you just gotta do it i love this stuff and you could say what you will about having it all year long. I mean, we start day one in college basketball and we get we get the projections going. It's like, well, it's the same the same way in the same vein that we do a top twenty five poll. We're projecting. You know, we're predicting and then these things shuffle all year long and North Carolina was a one seed and Ohio State was a five seed. So quite <laughs> honestly, things change pretty quickly. Oh, how times has changed. Yes, it's not that way anymore, but of course, as we're recording this, it is before Ohio State has played Michigan State in the Big Ten tournament, but still really proud of those guys and the way that they have the way that they have just tied their shoelaces a little bit tighter and played with pride. And I I did not think that they were going to be able to get that second one. I thought they might get Wisconsin, but to get to Friday here to get another shot at Michigan State, pretty impressive. But Jason, uh, 
the bracketologist, he goes on ACC Nation, goes on with those guys a lot. He's a Kansas City guy, so he was telling us before that he's he's a big K-State dude, and he must live maybe closer to Manhattan or goes out there and was credentialed for some of their games this year. But So he's in on the Jayhawks, he's in on K-State, Big 12, and really he'll dazzle you with kind of like a guy like Colin here. He'll dazzle you with his overall knowledge of these teams far and wide and all the different conferences he pays attention to. We got a lot to get into, really, a lot to get into. We are glad you are here, and to everybody that's listening in, Saturday morning on The Fan, we say hello, happy March, let's talk some college basketball. This is Mad About Hoops. Five to go. Lewis has been awesome, lets it go. Inbounds Turner, left side of the backcourt. Turner crossed the timeline, throws it from high on the right. He hit it! He hit it! He hit it! He hit it just inside of half court! Lane's on the other wing. He finds oh! 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 Send it in, Jerome! Oh! <laughs> College basketball! This is March Madness! Oh, everything in our show open here, Colin, just fits a little bit better this time of year. You know, just hearing Gus's voice, just watching Big East basketball. If we talk about bucket list conference tournaments, that is the one that I have got to get to still. Well, even this Uh, year, man, I mean, as of Friday morning, just the drama that's unraveled in that conference tournament, the way that Xavier came back against DePaul. St. John's pushed Marquette to the brink, had him up big, like 13, 14 points before Marquette made the comeback. And then UConn was up 25, 26 points before Providence made it like a five-point game late. UConn prevailed. But it's just, it's such a great conference tournament. And I know people here locally will get this, uh, but I always watch that tournament and get kind of tricked into if Anthony Rothman has any relations to the guy that runs the uh, <laughs> the, the Rothman sponsorship on the court at Madison Square oh, Garden. What, so I've got to ask him about this. What what is that called? I was why I saw that yesterday. Is it Rothman Orthopedics? I think so. Or therapeutics. It, it's one of it's those. One two. Of, yeah, <laughs> I love that Rothman Orthopedics. That's pretty good. That means that Rothman guy is a big wig in New York City because he's slapping stuff down on the the deck at Madison Square Garden. And who the heck knows if that's a Jay Burson court? Of course, the uh, famous Ohio State basketball player used to do some work with us here. He is in the basketball court business. There's I like two will big say, ones. I hope it. I hope his is not one of the uh, the Big Twelve tournament ones out in Kansas City because I don't know oh, if you the saw floorboard. the floorboard that had to be hammered back down. Mm, yeah, that's right, because he is a guy that whatever his is Horner floors, if he's still working there, I'm not I'm not entirely sure, but he is part of the inspection process. Like that's part of the gig because he would go all around. This dude would travel to China. He would travel to I think the NBA was playing some games in Brazil at the start of one season. And he would bring me back these really cool things. All star games. He did a lot of NBA all star games. So he would go out there and he would inspect, make sure the floor was installed properly. And he would give me these really cool plaque things like it would be a piece of the floor. And then they would kind of put an imprint of the whole basketball court on the front of that little piece. Like the design of the basketball court would be on the plank of wood. And I know like some programs do this. My dad has a piece of the original Mackey Arena floor. Oh, wow. I saw that sitting in his apartment. I didn't know he had that. And I was looking at it and had a little like pewter plaque on the top of it. I'm like, it's pretty cool. It was the floor he practiced on when he was on their practice squad when he was a student there. So that's pretty neat. But 
You mentioned Biggie's basketball. It's the one that I've always wanted to go to. Just to watch it on TV and hear the iconic voices of Gus Johnson and Bill Raftery doing those games. It's just, it's basketball Americana to me. And I kind of sidebar this into a big story in college basketball this week. Some things with coaches going on. And you know, we'll get into a lot of it. We we hope that Bill Self for Kansas health-wise is okay. And it's like you said, what were the, the updates that you saw on his situation? Yeah, they originally mentioned like an illness. I know someone said something about vascular situations. It's There's not a whole lot of details outside that there was some type of illness that had to be taken care of and treated at a hospital locally. But they said that, you know it wasn't an urgent matter. And so this they says, called it a routine, they thing. called it a routine procedure, yeah. which maybe, yes, it's a weird time of year to have something routine, but also I think you can make a slight case. If, if it turns out that self comes back and is there for the NCAA tournament, big indictment for certain types of teams about conference tournaments in general, which yes, that's okay. If you are Kansas, you know, clearly like you want your head coach out there, but if you had to address something conference tournament, is the conference tournament week for a one seed and the overall one seed. You really don't need that. You won the regular season and then you're trying to back up with a national championship, but hopefully self's okay. Back to the big East. When I look at these teams that are in uh, the semifinals as these will be, these will be coming up on Friday. And so if you're listening to us on the fan on Saturday morning, they already happened, but UConn and Marquette, those are classic teams, right? Creighton and Xavier yeah. are kind of newbies, but, so, you know. So, so Marquette's a team that's really based on their guard play. Tyler Kolek, who was one of the best players. I, th- I think he was the Big East player of the year. I can't remember off the top of my head. but Yeah, he yeah, was. He he's was really great. Good. If you watch that game uh, they played the other day against St. John's, he was really instrumental in how he commanded the game late. And that's what you're going to look for when you're filling out your brackets is teams that have guard play that can come command a game, a tight game late in the final four, three minutes of the game and really put it away. And I, I think with him, Cam Jones, uh, they got some good forward play with Oso Iguodaro uh, and Omax Prosper. It's it's a really solid team. Not as deep as I think you'd like with the bench play, but it's still a very good team. I All right, I like it. I see you like Marquette, and you'll get a chance to go crazy on a lot of these teams' profiles when we do our selection show. But when, I, when I'm speaking about the Big East here and – there's a program that just has been missing. And when you talk about this, the restructure of this conference and it being a proud conference and what Gavitt built there and just the teams and the toughness and how big of a deal this tournament was and just how great and classic all these teams were. And then, you know, it became what it was when conference realignment happened and you lost a lot of those teams, but UConn being back helps Georgetown not being in the mix for so many years is a big hindrance to what this newfound Big East is. And then, you know, Syracuse. I got to throw them out there, too, with the Jim Beheim news. Syracuse was also a really big part of what Big East basketball was and making these tournaments so fun and so special. So we'd be remiss to not mention Jim Beheim. Bye-bye. He's gone. Weird ending for him for the coach at Cuse. Now, of course, in the ACC. And Patrick Ewing, just an icon at Georgetown, they had to make a move. Georgetown is just, dude, I, I don't know how a program like that in Washington, D.C. can get so bad, but Ewing is out. Jim Beheim is out at Syracuse. One I know not in the Big East anymore, but when you talk about this conference, they got to be mentioned. 
And it, it stinks for Patrick. It just stinks because you had to make that movie. He was just such a bad coach and just couldn't get it working. Bayheim was just becoming really annoying down the stretch run. And that stinks that he chose to end it that way because he's a grown man. He could have retired and gone off into the sunset on his own terms, but he just was hard headed and didn't want to do it. He literally forced Syracuse's hand to send him packing. And that's what they did. Yeah, Bayheim situation is kind of interesting because it kind of seemed like they got a little bit lazy as a program late. And when I say lazy, I mean they didn't really change a whole lot when it wasn't working. And he stuck by that 2-3 zone for as long as he could, and it, it just wasn't working. Their defensive efficiency numbers just weren't what they were five, even ten years ago. Uh, I, I think Autry can get them back on track. He can recruit there. I, I think they don't have as many issues as, say, Georgetown, because Georgetown has a lot of deeper issues if you want to get into the NIL politics of it. They have a lot of restrictions with how they can go about that, so they are already behind the eight ball in terms of recruiting in the Big East yeah. along the, with teams like DePaul or, or a Butler. It's just a little bit different for them, so it's harder for you can get a guy, and I'm sure we'll mention Rick Patino at some point. They're going to target guys like that or maybe a Mike Bray from Notre Dame. They're going to have to shoot high for a really good guy that can really overcome some of the obstacles they face. But I think it's different at Georgetown than it is at Syracuse. Yeah, and I just – it's tough to put your finger on exactly what the Hoyas have to do to get competitive again. I mean, hey, they, they got a great dunker in Mac McClung <laughs> recently. But what did he do? He left. He left and went to Texas Tech. Yeah, just the Big East as a whole. It's a very good conference. It's a very entertaining conference. But there is a tear break between the top half and the bottom half in terms of how they have funding for their programs and how they can use NIL to bring in guys, like I said. All right, so everybody settle in. Conference tournaments are still killing it right now as we head towards Selection Sunday. We have to talk brackets. We will do so for probably the the course of the next two segments here as we'll talk to Jason Carmelo from the Big Underdog blog. He will have a lot of information about a lot of these teams that are going to be going dancing and some that possibly won't be going dancing. So that's coming up on Mad About Hoops. All right, you're not really a college basketball podcast unless you get a bracketologist on. And Colin, we had a good one on the last couple of years here in the month of March. So once again, Jason Carmelo Anthony. That's right. Big mellow guy. He joins us and you got to go to his Twitter account because he has some great stuff. The percentages are good. Follow him at big underdog blog on Twitter. And then he's got the links there to his blog site where he is predicting the seeds. He's got the ones, the twos, all the way, really the whole entire field, all the way to the 16s. Jason, it's good to have you on Mad About Hoops once again. How are we doing? Happy March, buddy. Happy March. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Yeah, so what's the what what's the biggest thing that you're watching right now as a bracketologist? Are you fixed on the big guys, or are you watching those bubble teams that are posturing to just get into the tournament now? I think for the most part, it's really the bubble teams. Uh, the the quality of wins up at the top is pretty set. You know, we might be looking at a UCLA versus a Purdue for the final one seed, but by and large, it's the bubble teams. But then, you know, we have to remind ourselves that over the past four or five years, the committee has really established that conference tournaments do not mean mean nearly as much as fans think they do. 
You know, last year, Notre Dame lost in the first round of their conference tournament while Texas A&M made it all the way to the finals of the SEC. Notre Dame got in, A&M didn't. So mm. we always have to kind of take a step back and realize that the games we're seeing are one out of about 32, and the committee is going to take all of them into consideration. Yes, talking about that bubble stuff, it seems like it, talking about Thursday, the big day of conference tournament games, I know you said they're not as important, but for teams on the bubble, it seems like they are. And it seems like almost any team you could think of on the bubble was losing in that Thursday slot. You got teams like NC State. Uh, you had Wisconsin losing to Ohio State on Wednesday. Yeah, uh, Just so many of these teams that are moving in and out. Like, Can we get a sense of what, how much movement you're seeing right now in terms of those last four in, first four out? Actually, quite a bit, right? Quite a bit. What's really fascinating is how the committee is going to view metrics versus quality wins. So you have a team like Utah State. They're 24-7, and seven, and that sounds great, right? Their net is 18 in the top 20, but they only have one quality win all year. They beat Boise State at home. Kind of, if you break it into quads, they've got one really good win and two really bad losses to Weber State and SMU. So you say, okay. That there's not enough there, right? Well, then you get into Wisconsin, and their net is 81. So the difference between 18 for Utah State and 81 for Wisconsin, but Wisconsin has six quality wins and no bad losses. And so what we see is, statistically, from a net standpoint, you're going to hear that, that net ranking thrown around. That's what the committee uses to kind of generally organize the teams. The net rewards blowouts, and the net hurts you for close games that you win. As crazy as it sounds, Blowouts are more important than close wins. So Wisconsin's being penalized there. The committee established when they did the top 16 reveal that quality wins really matter. That's why they had five out of the 16 teams they showed about three or four weeks ago were Big 12 schools. And so Utah State is one of the last bubble teams still playing. And I think they're going to have the opportunity if they win today to probably get in. He's our bracketologist and he's Jason Carmelo. He is a uh, top 25 voter, so you can go and find him on Twitter at Big Underdog Blog, and then he's got his links right there. He's He really puts it out tweet by tweet with what's going on with uh, the NCAA tournament here leading up to Selection Sunday. Do you do you kill the myth? I, I know you kind of kind of preface this in some of your answers here, but the way you're playing late – does it really have anything to do with that? I mean, you it depends, I guess, on what conference tournament you're in because you have a chance to get some better win quality, like Ohio State. They're not going to get in the tournament, but just for an example, they're going to have to play good teams in the Big Ten. And, you know, there's even other conferences this year, like the Big 12, where the win quality will go up if you were a bubble team. But is is that a myth? You know, win, being better late doesn't really matter. It's the overall resume. About six years ago, the committee came out and said, the last 10 to 12 games don't matter. It used to be a statistical piece of information that they used. I actually believe the committee means it. Um, about four or five years ago, Oklahoma had lost seven in a row. They still got in. Um, right. And you're seeing a lot, of, a lot of these teams that really struggling in the finish line. Rutgers had an injury to, to one of their best players, and they're just barely getting in. They beat Michigan yesterday. I think Rutgers will get in. Michigan probably won't. I think they actually just evaluated across. I don't believe they factor in. Um, the, the recent games, and boy, Nevada really hopes that they don't because Nevada's had three bad losses in the last week and a half. Give us those big tens. I know you just said Rutgers is in. Does that mean Wisconsin and Michigan are dead? Wisconsin's not dead. I think Michigan is dead. Michigan's only two games over 500, and 
Michigan played with fire last year. Michigan was 17 and 14. <laughs> yep. Michigan was 17 and 14 last year. They snuck in a tournament, went to Dayton. They got all the – actually, they were the 11th seed. Didn't have to go to Dayton. Went all the way to the Sweet 16. They are not going to get that this year. They're not going to get the benefit of that out this year. Their strength of schedule last year was five in the country out of 363. So Michigan will not get in. Wisconsin's so fascinating. They're not dead yet. It's going to depend on what Utah State does. It's going to depend on what Clemson does. Wisconsin is still hanging on by a thread. Penn State's in. Penn State has been in for really a week and a half. I think people are a little too hard on Penn State. Maybe it's their brand for basketball. They've got plenty of quality wins. They can win on the road. And Jalen Pickett, is he's, he's playing like a first-team All-American. Um, the other team, when you really kind of scrub it, and as, as, a, as a quiet, diehard Buckeye fan, right, I had the gear on yesterday for the game, um, Michigan State is solid across the board. They really shoot the threes. They're dependent on that. Hopefully they're off today. But Michigan State kind of checks all the boxes for a team that will make a tournament run. He is Jason Carmelo, bracketologist, and we will have so much more coming up right here on Mad About Hoops. Back here on Mad About Hoops, March Madness, dancing season. I'm Timmy Hall. He's Evil Bald Colin. We are with our bracketologist, Jason Carmelo from the Big Underdog blog. And we just left off talking about some of the Big Ten squads, the ins and the outs right there. But there is so much more when it comes to seeding this 68-team field. So we get right back to it. And Evil, I kick it back to you, my friend. Jason, just looking at your bracketology, but really across the industry, I think what I notice is how much potential there is for chaos, especially at the top of the seeds with ones and two seeds, even three seeds, because I'm looking at the middle of your uh, of your seeds in the seven, eight, nine, ten range. It feels like one of the deepest ranges of that those seeds. And quite honestly, in recent memory for me, I mean, I mean, just seeing Boise State and Providence, while Providence has kind of struggled down the late stretch. Them being a nine seed and facing up against a one seed would terrify me. Like, just t- talk about to us how and how deep it is in the middle of these seeds. Yeah, that, that's a great point. For for example, right now Creighton is hovering somewhere between a six and seven line. Now, a lot of us love that Maui tournament early in November. Buckeyes played there, right? That's right. Creighton, yes, they did. Yeah, Creighton. they beat. They went two and one. They beat uh, yeah. Texas Tech in their last game. Lost to. Who was the guy San, that beat him? San Diego, San Diego State. State beat him pretty good. Yep. San Diego State kind of out physical the, the young players, right? So Creighton is hovering in that six or seven line right now. And the reality is Creighton made it all the way to the finals in that fantastic Maui tournament. They lost 81-79 to a really good Arizona team. We all took back and said, wow, Creighton's really good. They're a top 10 team. They're really good. Their big guy right after that, Ryan Cockburner, got hurt. They lost an additional five games in a row. So they got, they were six and six to start the year, including a home loss to Nebraska and everybody got off the Creighton train. He came back. They've played very well. Sometimes within all of this data and all these records are really good players getting hurt. And while the committee doesn't ding you the whole way for it, they can't, they can't slide Creighton all the way up to the three line. Right. So you end up with these subtle teams. TCU is a really good example of that too. They're probably heading towards a five line, but Mike Miles, the Big 12 preseason player of the year, was hurt for the majority of the Big 12 season. And we saw last night, they, they manhandled Kansas State. And so TCU, Creighton, calling to your point, a lot of these teams in the middle, if they've had some injuries and players come back, they're really dangerous. But Creighton is, Creighton's playing at a high level right now. 
Yeah, and then we go to the 12 seeds. I think it's just the same. It's probably the, the strongest crop of 12 seeds, what you have as of uh, we're recording this on Thursday morning, or uh, excuse me, Friday, Friday. morning. Friday morning. Uh, but you've got <laughs> a long day. Yeah. You've, you've got an Oral Roberts team that just ran through their conference in the Summit League. You've got Drake, who really put on a good performance, and the Missouri Valley VCU, who's we don't know at this point if they're going to make it, but uh, uh, I would think they're going to make it. Whether they, uh, here's uh, I'll ask you this as a side question: Do you think VCU makes it if they don't win their conference tournament? No, the the Atlantic 10 really struggled in the non-conference. And the result of that is none of their nets and their metrics and any of their rankings were able to kind of establish early on. So now when they beat each other, it, it's just not enough. No, BC won't get in. Of those teams you mentioned, though, and I, every time I type it, it's hard for me. Or oh, Roberts, right? Uh, Max Amos is still there. He's still there, right? Two years ago, we all felt the pain of him and Kevin O'Banner who transferred to Texas Tech, beating the the two fifteen yeah. game against Liddell and the Buckeyes, but he's still there. And their offense ranks as the twenty fifth best in the country. And when you get these teams, um, kind of these mid major teams with a really efficient either offense or defense, they become very dangerous. VCU, you mentioned they're the sixteenth best defense in the country. So if they get in, they are going to ruin somebody's day defensively and play a game in the fifties or sixties and really control the tempo. So they would be dangerous, but VCU is not going to have enough to get in. What else did you ask there, Colin? Well, I was just asking in terms of the, the crop of 12s. I, I think it's one of yeah. the strongest groups, again, in like recent you got, Char- you got Charleston there, too. Yeah, Charleston. 30-win basketball yeah. teams. Yeah, like it, it's 30 just... 30 wins, yep. Yeah, yep. you've got a top group of just mid-major teams that just know how to win, and they have senior and uh, upperclassmen leadership. Mm. And, you know, Drake, Missouri Valley teams have always had success in, in the tournament as well. Bradley and Drake kind of fought it out, um, and the rubber match went to Drake to get in. And then don't forget about the Mac schools. Right? They're, they're going to trend on either that high 12 line or maybe the early part of the 13 line. It's probably coming down to Toledo, a fantastic offensive team, seventh best in the country offensively against the Kent State team that really guards. That'd be a really fantastic Mac championship. One of those two teams, when they get in, think about this. If, if one of those schools, a team like Toledo, matches up with a team like Tennessee who really can't score, I mean, that could be – entertaining and Toledo could absolutely beat Tennessee. Yeah, there is, there's been a lot of conversation around these parts, Jason, about Mac basketball and what they finally have to do to turn their league into something that's more than a one bid league. And it's been this way for 25 plus years. Maybe you got the the number on the last year. They took more than one. I think it was in the nineties, but you got to schedule. I mean, there's, there's ways to do it. You can schedule, you can play in these, you know, holiday tournaments, there's a million of them. You can get some quality neutral site games and, and do your best to go on the road and play big dogs. But they just, we agree, Toledo's great. I saw Kent State play this year a couple weeks ago. Sincere Carey, they're fun to watch. So one of those MAC teams that gets in, they will be good. But that's that's the old one-bid league. I'll run you guys through it here real quick, where Jason Carmelo's got his 2023 bracketology up at uh, his big underdog blog follow him on twitter they're at big underdog blog one seeds are kansas bama houston and purdue so that holds pretty steady his twos are ucla texas arizona and baylor and the threes marquette gonzaga kansas state yukon i'll give you the fours because there's an ohio school and a big 10 there tennessee xavier indiana and virginia xavier surviving against depaul last game uh, as uh, we recorded this last i will ask you I think that uh, the Pitt Panthers are mighty interesting. 
How could they be a Dayton squad? I mean, you we've kind of been joking about Pitt here in the last couple of days. They go from almost winning the ACC outright at 14 and four, two games before the end of their season, losing them both, I think to Notre Dame and then to Miami for the championship. And now here they are getting hammered by Duke and trying to get in crazy. It is a fascinating team. You're exactly right. They, they simply, they got to a really good start and they've kind of been just trying to hang on. But, you know, I, I, I realized I said early, early in the, in the, in the pod, Hey, conference tournaments don't matter that much, but let's also be honest. Let's try not to get beat by 30. Right. So that, that set them back. <laughs> yeah. They, I think Pitt finds a way to get in. They've got four qual. They've got four quad one wins. They got you know, four quad two two wins, and it's just kind of good enough. They didn't do anything extremely silly in the non-conference. I think Pitt's going to get in. It's whether NC State gets in when you look at the ACC. So Pitt, I think Pitt is in. They probably are going to Dayton. So if you're a Pitt fan, you might have a, a, a short commute. They're probably heading to Dayton, but they'll get in. And NC State, same type of thing. Didn't they just get? crucified by Clemson last night, 80 to 54. Yeah. NC yeah. state just got hammered by Clemson. That's the third time Clemson has beat them. And that's about all Clemson has other than a home win, uh, other than a home win versus, uh, versus Duke, which is the same thing that, that NC state has. Um, the issue with Clemson is, is that their strength of schedule is 335 out of 363. And the committee has established for many years now, if you have a strength of schedule above 250, that means you didn't play anybody. I mean, anybody. Yeah. And and they will really penalize you on Selection Sunday. So for me, that's why Clemson's not in. No major conference team has ever had a quad one record over 500 in a quad one plus quad two record over 500 and not got in. Clemson is trending to not get in because their strength of schedule is so poor. Jason, it feels like one season close to being locked in. You've got Kansas, Bama, Houston, Purdue. It, it feels like really left on the two line that could move up as UCLA, but pending what they do in the, the Pac-12 conference tournament and whatever they do without Jalen Clark, is there a way that we could see a different mixture of the ones? I think so. If Rutgers comes out today and beats Purdue – and UCLA goes on and wins the Pac-12 championship, I think we could see those flip. And the reality is this, as crazy as it sounds, because the Pac-12 championship happens on Saturday and not Sunday, the committee might take that into consideration a bit more. The Sunday games, as we know, just throw them away, right? Just throw them away. They only have to insert a team like Richmond last year that made it, that wouldn't have gotten in. But if conference championships are on Sunday, they really don't move the teams around. But the other thing is, too, Jason, we're with Jason Carmelo here, our bracketologist. I'm just going to call you our Mad About Hoops bracketologist now. I'm just going to claim you as ours, if that's good with you. It's an honor. Yeah. It's so honor. The, the thing, too, like you go back to the Kenyon Martin fix, right? Mm-hmm. And that you saw this with Robbie Hummel and the Purdue Boilermakers where, man, poor guy, right? Like they were always in a position to do something and twice had season-ending injuries when the Boilers were getting set up there. That was like 10, 12 years ago now. But Jalen Clark out for the season. I kind I kind of respect what a team does is what a team does. I'm kind of on that side of the fence in that discussion. It's tough that you would hurt my seed line based on a guy that we lose because our team accomplished certain things and you can't just take away wins from us from earlier in the season. 
But we know, right, and, and back me on that, that they will take a look at key injuries to try to fix the bracket the right way when we go into March. That's exactly correct, Tim. I mean, that Tennessee is a little bit worried about that right now. One of their best players just got hurt uh, for the season. Yep. UCLA is in the same boat. So as long as UCLA looks pretty good and they got the, they were a little wobbly yesterday against Colorado, I think they're going to need one more win. Regardless, they're a two seed, but they may lose the coin flip with Purdue um, because of that injury. I mean, he Clark might be the best defensive player in the country, which is a crazy thing to say, but he's that good. And he's a key piece to a, a Mick Cronin team. They always play very, very good defense. Yeah, just a six-five guy, just can play multiple positions and guard multiple positions, like you're saying there. So, Jason, I'm wondering, do you have uh, how many years have you been doing this? Like, actually, been been doing this and and fixing the entire bracket from the ones all the way to the 16s and the first four in Dayton. And do you have any percentages that you can dazzle us with? Like, how what your correct seed lines are? I know it's impossible to get like you know all the sites, and you don't really mess with the sites. That's kind of what I like. You really focus solely on what seed these teams are going to wind up with. Yeah, I've been doing it about 15 years. And again, you know, I, I started it because as a diehard Ohio State fan, I wanted to try to figure out where Ohio State was going to be seated. Sure. And so where kinda, are they going to get seated this year, Jason? Oh, man. <laughs> I, I tell you what, the wheels came off and they're, they're giving us some some kind of some false late hope here with some young guards playing well. I we, I don't know if we want to go down that train, uh, what happened against Minnesota and teams like that. But nonetheless, about 15 years doing this. And, um, you know, in 2014, was able to win the bracket matrix. That was kind of a fun, that was a fun, uh, that was a fun day there. And, you know, usually you can, you can get 66 or 67 out of 68. It's been hard to get 68, but usually you can get it pretty close. This year actually be pretty tough because trying to establish really what's crazy is when you zoom out and think about the bubble, it's just how do they want to evaluate the Mountain West? Nevada and Utah State and so it'll be it'll be tricky this year seeds this year seeds Colin as you mentioned basically eight through eight through 11 is a coin flip and so you just kind of do the best you can you establish kind of your methodology and a lot of methodology for me is all about quality wins um, because I think that's the committee goes but it's been a lot of fun over the last 15 years. So I know like Colin would talk a lot about that so you won that bracket matrix he's the one that introduced me to that and it's always interesting, right? When you're a diehard college basketball fan, there's something new, something uh, I never even heard of. He's like, there's this place where every guy or gal in the country that is into this bracketology stuff puts all their stuff there, and there's hundreds of them, thousands, millions yeah. of them. And then this guy <laughs> won the national championship for it, had the best bracket picks of all, national champ in 2015. Look at you. You're just like the Kansas Jayhawks last year national champ in 2015 who won the national championship in 2015 colin is your recall that good uh not off the top of my head i'm trying to think i'm not good at that either i feel like it was a duke team but i can't i bet you're right i think it is but it was a duke yeah we'll just call it a duke blue devils in, in honor of coach k being out of college basketball now but guys <laughs> This was a lot of fun, and uh, we had to do it. We had to have him on, Jason Carmelo, and he was right. It was Duke. That's good. It's it really the, uh, good. The ty- it was the uh, Tyus Jones team that beat Wisconsin. Oh, man. Oh, and Bo um, Ryan was acting like such an ass afterwards, too. He couldn't just grace. It, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, deal with it. He couldn't just gracefully yeah. go away. He's like, yeah, yeah, foul calls. Man, I can't believe it. It's like, just, 
shut up. Shut up. You beat Kentucky. You lost to Duke in the national championship. Jason, Tim, you're Kerman. not going to want me to mention 16 quad one wins for KU, and they should be the the overall number one. I didn't know if you wanted me to mention that before we got off. Yeah, here. please speak a little bit more. But give me like another, you know, 20 seconds of just talking about Kansas and how good they are. But will their bench, will their bench come into play in this run for the Jayhawks? I, I don't think so. You know, those media timeouts get even longer in the tournament. I don't think the bench is necessarily going to be an issue. KJ Adams has gotten a lot better. Went and saw them play Harvard early in the year. And since then, um, he's gotten a lot, a lot better. Just it, to put in perspective what Kansas is doing with 16 quad one wins, last year after the, comp, after the regular season, after the conference championship, and after the NCAA tournament, Kansas, who won the national title, had 12. No other team had double digits. Four teams had nine. They already have 16. So what Kansas is doing is incredible. Plus factor in that Houston, while dominating a lot of games, did lose at home to Temple. In my mind, there's no doubt Kansas is the number one overall. That way they get the regional here in Kansas City. Ooh-wee, let's go. Grady Dick and Jalen Wilson and Dewan Harris and company go and get a little repeat. And this Bill Self thing certainly a big story. Hope the coach is going to be okay. Not a heart attack. Not a heart attack is what the school said. So, hey, that's good. But hopefully they're going to have their coach for the NCAA tourney. Jason Carmelo, big underdog blog. Always appreciate it, man. Happy March. Enjoy watching how your picks shake down and enjoy the tournament. All right. Great to speak with you guys. Be well. All right. That's really great stuff from our pal, Jason. And of course you could tell he's a big Ohio state guy as well. And we will talk a little bit about the Buckeyes because we haven't done so a lot yet. And we've got a mid-major flavor. They're still mad about hoops road trips to take here this weekend for conference tournament action. I think you just go North in the state of Ohio, but we'll talk about all that coming up on Mad About Hoops. All right. It's just so good right now. March Madness is in full swing. I'm Timmy Hall. He's Evil Bald Colin. Got a lot to get to here in this last segment. And again, we, we don't know at this point in time at the recording of this pod this week if the Ohio State Buckeyes made it to Saturday, to this beautiful conference tournament Saturday. But the fact that they got to Friday... From opening round Wednesday to the quarterfinals against Michigan State and had to beat two either bubble teams or tournament teams in Wisconsin and Iowa. Look, uh, Carmelo's got Iowa as an eight right here and Wisconsin not in the field. So there you go. That was kind of a playing game. A lot of people thought that different bracketology reports you looked at. Wisconsin was in that first four out situation going into that Buckeye game, or I think maybe a DeCourcy or somebody else had him as the last four in playing that game. So essentially an elimination game, but evil, you got to love the way these guys are are choosing to play winning for their last five games going into the Michigan state Spartans matchup. Yeah, of course. I mean, we talked about this on last week's episode, just the fight, not the, the, the not giving up attitude uh, that they've shown within the last three, four weeks has really been impressive. And I I think it's good signs of what's to come next season that they can use it to at least build off of. Now, whether they take that advantage, we'll find out come next late fall or late fall. But yeah, I'm really impressed with just how the young guys have stepped up. And I mean, the, what you're getting from Felix Akpara and Bruce Thornton, 
I don't know if you could have expected that heading into the year and you're getting at the end of the year when quite honestly you need it the most and ho- hopefully for their sake it propels them to a very fun weekend but if not you know it's it's a great opportunity to learn what they have they've gi- they've at least given you some good here they've salvaged something and I think that's what's important because it could have just kept you didn't have to win these games you know like we we go to we go to that old saying right <laughs> things can always get worse you say, oh, we're at rock. No, you're not at rock bottom. If you have basketball games left, you're not at rock bottom. Ask, you know, Georgetown. Ask Patrick <laughs> Ewing. Ask uh, Louisville, right? They were 4-28 and this year. Uh, the guy that uh, just got fired from Cal. Fox. Fox, yeah. Yeah, what were they, 3-29 and or something yes, like that? Yes, one of their worst disgusting. seasons since the mid-teens, 19 19- or like 1913, Uh, uh, That's just gross, man. So things can always get worse. And they made a nice little run at, you know, getting back towards a respectable win total, getting closer to 500. And it was just like a ugly, exciting mess is kind of what it was this year. That they give you this in the conference tournament. You can't ever have a season like this again. You know, there's a standard, there's expectations. Under 500 is a no-fly zone. You know, that's like the, this is like the one. You get one. You really shouldn't have gotten one, but you get one of those, and then you got to move on and get right back on track. But so uh, hopefully the Buckeyes got some got it going again. We're talking about them on Saturday in a Big Ten semifinal. That would be amazing. I mean, I'd be I'd be blown away if it got to that because fatigue kind of catches you. But hopefully, just the overall excitement with these guys and there being some youth there in that room can carry them through. But I know we got so much more to talk about with some road trips and some mid-major flavors. Big conference, small conference, still carrying into the weekend. You had a thing with some bid stealers with mid-major flavor. This is really important stuff. Yeah, so you'll know this result as of listening to this recording if you're listening to the Saturday morning, but it's going to be between UAB and North Texas down in Frisco because the Conference USA has got a potential bid stealer situation because, quite honestly, Florida Atlantic's probably logged into an 8-9. Maybe they could fall to a 10 if they lose in the semifinals, but more or less, they're going to be locked into the tournament. So you could get two conference USA team teams in with really good teams. North Texas, very strong on the defensive end, can lock teams into the low fifties. And it's going to be a potential real, real struggle for a, a high major team. If they meet in the tournament and then UAB, you know, the name jelly Walker, he's been going off really high scoring efficiency team for the blazers. It's, it's kind of two contrasting styles. So that game Friday, if you've watched it, I'm sure it was a really fun game, but it's it's two really solid teams that could steal a bid from, you know, we, we mentioned it with Jason, a, a team like an Arizona State, although Arizona State seems like they're locking themselves in, but someone on the back end of the first uh, last four in. Yeah, Jelly Walker, you get some jam with that Jelly if you watch that guy play. He is really good, and I'm with you there. Anytime you got a, a squad like that, like FAU, who's right on that eight line, you, you got to be on the lookout there. You got some 24, 25 win basketball teams that you mentioned that can do some damage. So that, that takes it away from those last guys in. So programs like, you know, Utah state and Pitt and Rutgers, you know, Arizona but with state, the way, Oklahoma state, you gotta be a little bit nervous there. I understand with Utah state, their metrics and are, are, are good, but their resume isn't as great, but man, just watching them beat down New Mexico Heading into a big matchup, potential or a, a big matchup coming up with Boise State, like it's a very solid team and a very strong offensive team with uh, Taylor Funk leading the way, a transfer guy that went in there. I, I I don't know if they're really that much on the bubble anymore as of this recording, but 
I think they're a very solid team and a team no one would want to face. You watched Boise State versus UNLV, didn't you? You sick bastard. I did. Yeah. So that was you a did. that was a really concerning one because so did that I. was a man. Boise Boise State when they're on Leon Rice's squad is really really good and he's got some really talented players and Marcus Shaver, his son Max Rice, Tyson Degenhart is a really good forward. But there's times where they just kind of slack off and they're not very consistent. And there's teams like UNLV that can sneak up on them. Nothing like CBS Sports Network late at night. What's with that court for the Mountain West Conference Tournament? What what are we doing? We have like 3D art for the logo in the middle. And they're trying to mimic the Oregon. Like the two-toned right. wood and the mountain range on the bottom of the court. If you guys haven't checked that out, look at the Mountain West Conference Tournament basketball court. Tell me if I'm lying. I think that thing is just its disgusting. I don't know how you could play on that. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough watch, but I will say just real quick on the Mountain West, I really, really hope they put out a good performance in the tournament this year because you got to get that taste of the winless 2022 record out of your mouth. Well, last thing here, we still have road trips to be had, and th- these are really the best kind of road trips when you're talking about tournament play. So you're into neutral sites. The venues are are a little bit different, so they're going to be more of your NBA arenas. But when college basketball at its best takes over an NBA-sized arena and you can fill that thing, the passion and the intensity, it, it gets really cool. And I will be curious to see how nice of a show the MAC championship is on Saturday. Really, you talk about Friday, you get a two-pack of games, right? You've got the Ohio-Toledo game, the Akron-Kent State. That's a lot of fun. And then championship Saturday. I think that one's coming up here at night. So, man, like I... I might go up there. Who knows? You might see you might see me up at the you. MAC championship game. I wouldn't blame you. Uh, this is a good redemption arc for the tournament because, it, as you know, it it kind of ended in a not-so-great way last year when Kent State had some guys suspended after how they behaved after winning their semifinal and then lost to Akron in the final. But, uh, yeah, the MAC tournament's going to be great, and this this championship, whoever's faced off in it, is going to be really good. I, I personally am really interested in what's going on in the Barclays Center because – uh, what's going on in Brooklyn between the final four and we'll get to the champions on Sunday, but Fordham Dayton Fordham has turned out really well with their fan attendance. I think they had about 2000 fans in their quarterfinals or 2000 students show up for the quarter quarterfinal game, a really fun environment. Uh, Dayton kind of struggled against, against St. Joe's, but hopefully they can get back on track. And then the other semifinal St. Louis and VCU is just going to be a slug fest. I, I think this is going to be low sixties, maybe high fifties for both squads. Yeah. St. Louis VCU one o'clock on Saturday, Fordham Dayton three 30 on Saturday. And of course you got a couple of big 10 semifinals as well. And the Big Ten Championship game on Sunday. And hey, the Big Ten Championship game on Sunday, it's going to feed right in to the first ever Mad About Hoops selection show special. That's right, 545 approximately, 545. We know how that Big Ten Championship game broadcast blends right into it if you're watching on CBS. But man, that's going to be fun. So if you're driving around, you're in central Ohio or really any device that you have, Just tune in to The Fan, 97.1 The Fan, and we will be here rocking and rolling. And you're you're gonna love this. I could I could see it in your face. You're you're gonna love it. Selection show, baby. Yeah, man. It's a kind of a process. It's kind of getting up to speed on 
getting your crossing your T's and dotting your I's on all the mid majors that are locking in their bids. And then it's kind of figuring out where things go, are going to go in terms of expectations of where the high majors are, are going to be seated. And then just kind of getting your information on a line. And it's it's going to be fun to react in real time. I know there's going to be at least three or four upsets. I'm going to just say right off the bat when I see it. Uh, I'm really excited for the idea of doing this. And if you don't want to listen to Seth Davis, Davis break it down, just listen to us instead. All right. So we will see you guys for an earlier podcast next week to break down the brackets because this is awesome. I can't believe it. The next are we, time. Are we going to go region by region? We're going to go. We might have to go team by team. <laughs> we could you know, do we that. We might have to go 68 podcasts between Sunday night and the start of the games on Thursday. Oh, I don't know. What about the first I, four I mean, days, is, though? We got to think of that then, but too. This, this is what this time of year is, man. It's like you, you really got to grind up the content. Uh, no, we will do we will do a podcast between Sunday and before the real action gets going on Thursday. Love those Dayton games too, especially when you get the big on bigs and those eleven seeds. That can be a lot of fun. The little guys as well gives them a shot to win. But great stuff, Colin. Let's get some rest, man. Yeah, we need it. Uh, get through the weekend, make it through the spring forward, and then we'll have our uh, bracket show. All right, everybody, have a fantastic weekend watching what you love, college basketball. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Mad About Hoops.